Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring has arrived and every time I sneeze, I notice my neighbours seem to be shitting themselves because they think I have COVID. My name is Justin Hamilton, and please send me antihistamines for today's Big Squid. We have a few guests for the show today, including Dave Thornton, who is returning to talk about the NBA playoffs. I also have a chat with Australian comedian Rachel Melanta, who moved to Canada just in time to experience a very polite lockdown. And Cal Wilson returns with her segment, My Proudful Shame. This time we're helping out a listener who wrote into us. A big shout out to Tim Unwin. We will get to you a little bit later in the podcast. But before we start, I'd like to speak to you about the passing of Chadwick Boseman. And for me, in the end, it was the kids who got to me. Like many people, I was stunned by the news of Chadwick Boseman's death over the weekend. I won't pretend that I knew the man, but I had enjoyed his podcast appearances and been dazzled by the way he combined grace, power and humour. From his time on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert to sitting casually courtside at an NBA game or even his sense of humour that you would see in SNL. I vaguely recall some scuttlebutt online about Chadwick looking thinner than normal, but hadn't really thought much of it as I had no idea what his next role might be. You know, it always requires something different physically, so maybe he was getting ready for something new. And then we see the news that he was no longer with us, and it is a shock. And to discover that he'd been dealing with colon cancer for the last four years while he continued to make art, continued to give us guest appearances and visit sick children in hospital... It was not only a testament to the character of the man, but also an example to the rest of us that we should strive to exhibit a level of dignity during these challenging times. I'd seen Bozeman in a few movies, including 42, where he portrayed baseball legend Jackie Robinson, and James Brown in Get On Up. But it was his first appearance as Black Panther in Captain America Civil War that sent reverberations through my nerdy soul. 
For friends who only knew Marvel characters through the movies and their ubiquitous influence over popular culture, this was just another superhero to sell toys, fancy dress costumes and overpriced lunchboxes. I was excited because I knew T'Challa was different. Created by the modern myth makers Stanley and Jack Kirby back in 1966 for issue 52 of Fantastic Four, Black Panther stood out immediately for a number of reasons. Aesthetically, he just looks cool with his costume perfectly sculptured to show off the angular feats of physical prowess all superheroes display with casual ease. He's also powered by ancient rituals from his homeland, Wakanda, a land that is not only wealthy and rich culturally, but also technologically advanced. T'Challa is a brilliant scientist who works to keep his physical attributes as sharp as his mind, and he's also a hero with access to unlimited wealth and unmatched technology. So he's essentially a cross between Iron Man and Batman, but more. Not only that, but T'Challa isn't haunted by his time as an arms dealer or the deaths of his parents. He is a king with responsibilities who does his best to protect his people and, when called upon, the rest of the world. Watching Bozeman become Black Panther reminded me of when I first experienced Christopher Reeve as Superman. Both actors portrayed the inherent goodness in the characters without losing sight of their inner struggles. There is a common fallacy in entertainment that a good person is less interesting and so we gravitate to the anti-heroes, the compromised men and women that show weakness and poor behaviour in their actions. And to be honest, I'm bored with that trope. A character that is decent can also be funny, compromised, lost and enraged, just like anyone else. And lately I find myself drawn to Reeves' Superman, Bozeman's Black Panther and Chris Evans' Captain America. In these awful times where it is difficult to find real men in positions of power to look up to or even aspire to, I prefer to watch good characters who struggle with decisions and actions that could compromise their values but still find a way to arrive at the correct decision. When I check out of the real world to find some emotional solace, I don't want to spend that time with fictional people who remind me of my everyday experiences. It is easy to be cynical about the proliferation of superhero movies, and especially Marvel, as it rolls around in the type of money small nations could only dream about. I'm not a fan of all of their films, but when they get it right, I do believe they're providing the type of family entertainment that is lacking in other properties. After seeing the first Black Panther movie, I knew it was going to make all of the money. And it's not because I am particularly prescient. It was because I'd read an article a few years before that talked about how Jerry Seinfeld and Kevin Hart were on tours throughout the US, and the narrative in the media was, when is Kevin Hart going to cross over to mainstream audiences? The journalist then pointed out Seinfeld was selling out three to 4,000-seater theatres, and Kevin Hart was selling out 20,000-seat arenas. I had never thought of this before, and when I saw Black Panther with its thorough world-building, its charismatic cast, the popcorn-munching excitement and the underlying cultural message, I knew this was going to be the type of hit that would take the mainstream by surprise. Directed by the brilliant Ryan Coogler, who already had had hits with Creed and Fruitvale Station, Black Panther is a celebration of black culture. It never forgets the thrill, but it is more than the typical superhero's journey. The movie covers vast grounds, such as the traditions of African society, to the arguments that inform current African-American politics. It is a story about identity writ large, but also reflected in the minutiae between the different types of angry men and the broad range of powerful women. 
This superhero movie immediately seeped into everyday culture and it wasn't long before basketball players were adopting the Wakandan symbols in their handshakes and warm-ups. No longer was Africa being portrayed as unsophisticated, but instead we saw a brand new world designed with a futuristic skyline. There are many great performances in the movie, from Lupita Nyong'o's determined freedom fighter to Angela Bassett's majestic royalty, from the simmering charisma of Sterling K. Brown to the effortless joy of Letitia Wright. There's also an electric performance by Michael B. Jordan, his Eric Killmonger rippling with a fury that hadn't been seen before or since in a Marvel movie. And right in the middle of all of this, holding it together, is Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther, a man who is a king but continues to learn from the people around him, a hero who knows real power lies in knowledge, a legend that knows knowledge can help him grow as a person. In a lesser actor's hands, T'Challa could have been swamped in his own movie. Bozeman holds the rich tapestry together and then some. By the end of the movie, he has taken us on a personal journey where he has learned truths and is a better hero for it. He is the type of leader you wish we had in the real world. When I watch movies, part of the experience I attempt to keep in mind is, what does this film mean to the intended audience? I like all types of movies, but if a mainstream film has big ideas and is also unashamedly populist, I think there is a worthiness in this intention that we often overlook. One of the biggest joys I've experienced is talking to my friend's kids about a Christopher Nolan movie or the Marvel films, where they'll let their imaginations run free and share their thoughts and ideas on what it all means. Big ideas are for everyone and they're important. They inspire the next generation. You can never underestimate the power of ambitious ideas mixed together with a broader representation on the big and small screens. Look at the effect Dana Scully had on women in the 90s. There are so many women who work in science now because of the X-Files character that it is now referred to as the Scully effect. Inspiration can be drawn from the smallest of moments, the simplest of decisions, and sculpt a person's life forever. It is easy to be dismissive, to use your cynicism as an easy way to blunt your experience. As an example, look at Avengers Infinity War. When I saw that movie, I knew those heroes that disappeared would eventually return. I know how stories work. I know how movie contracts work. But my friend's 12-year-old daughter doesn't know that stuff, and she was devastated. And what I wasn't about to do was ruin her experience of that movie. Then, when we spoke a year later, her joy from seeing Avengers Endgame was palpable. I derived much happiness from her grin as she talked about those heroes that suddenly reappeared. And who was the first hero to return through those shimmering, magical portals? The Wakandan King, T'Challa, the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. To have Boseman gone at such a young age is devastating for his family and his community. You could see what his death meant immediately. Superstars like LeBron James and Lewis Hamilton both made the Wakandan symbol at their respective sporting events. The outpouring of grief all over the world speaks to the measure of the man. To discover how sick he was while continuing to work is hard to comprehend. To read the tributes from the acting world was amazing. To see the African-American community under siege with the Black Lives Matter movement take another hit with the loss of their hero is tragic. I was even surprised by the messages I received from friends here in Australia, grown men and women unafraid to admit their weeping over the news. From here in Sydney, I could intellectualise what I was witnessing, an almost conscious step back that allowed me to feel numb and not overcome with emotion. And then I started seeing photos of the African-American kids and I lost it. 
picture after picture of children with their action figures standing solemnly in their costumes, their arms crossed out of respect for their fallen hero. It was too much. I'm even tearing up as I talk to you about this. We all have to learn about death at some point, but it feels particularly cruel in the cruelest of years to see these kids have their idol taken from them. They recognise themselves in Bozeman's performance, in his skin colour, in the issues he deals with in the film. They recognise the story that plays out on the silver screen, and while they may not be able to articulate the subtleties of the movie, they know it deep in their bones, absorbed from their surroundings, moulding them into their future selves. I feel saddened for their loss. Yet when you look really closely at their photos, you can also see an underlying strength. They express a stoicism that often escapes the grown-ups. They know the character that Bozeman brought to life, unfettered by misgivings about the world at large and getting to the heart of why kids should look up to T'Challa. Maybe this silly Marvel movie will inspire some young people to seek out their roots or decide to study science or be as smart and tough as the women in the film. As I said earlier, we find inspiration in the unlikeliest of places, and if you doubt the power of Black Panther, then you haven't been paying attention. I hate that Chadwick Boseman is gone. I feel nothing but sadness for his loved ones. I'm overwhelmed when I think about the African-American kids who have lost their guy. Yet there is some solace in the knowledge that the power of the performance will live on, immortalised on celluloid, forever young. Chadwick Boseman was pitch perfect in his moment and will always be there to inspire future generations of kids. I look forward to seeing the men and women who will grow up to lead the way, inspired by the example of the Black Panther. Wakanda forever! Okay, the NBA playoffs are really kicking off and there's a lot going on down there. So let's bring in Dave Thornton to keep us up to date with what's happening over in the States. We've got Dave Thornton joining to have a quick chat about the NBA. That's your number one sport, is that correct? Or are you more of an AFL guy? Mate, through this pandemic, I've definitely, I've always been an NBA guy, but I've just locked in on this one. And it was only last night because I got two little kids. I was watching, you know, the Bleacher Report on my phone, which just, it's one of those Instagram accounts that just summarizes what's happening in sport and it's predominantly NBA. And my four-year-old's like, you watch a lot of basketball, daddy. And I said, I do. And then she looked at my mum, her mum, I should say, and then said, you don't like basketball. And Nikki, who's just a lovely human, didn't mean it as a dig, but she goes, no, no, because at nighttime, I like to do things like, you know, play the piano or play the guitar or talk to friends or read a book. And I was like, okay, okay. I'm culturally devoid of anything interesting. All I just want is sport and and this kind of sport in my eyeballs. That's it. Yeah. It's one of those moments where you're like, hang on a sec. I'm pretty certain I wasn't that guy, but maybe I am. (laughs) You know, we're all at sea during this pandemic and especially in Melbourne during the lockdown, Hamo. So you're kind of going, it's just, it's a certainty. So I'm clinging on to this certainty. And because of what happened last week, I was like, well, it wasn't a certainty and now it's back. So I'm holding it like a lover that left me, but now they're back. Oh, yes. Well, that's uh, the reason I wanted to have a chat to you. For anyone who doesn't follow the NBA, after the police shooting of Jacob Blake, uh, who was uh, shot seven times in front of his children, 
the uh, NBA collectively, uh, the, the players, really push back against it. And it's, I've never seen anything like this before, but the Milwaukee Bucks, who have the best record in the NBA and, you know, one of the top three teams to take out the finals, they didn't even take the court to their game against Orlando. And this is the playoffs. And then that just set off a chain of events where all the teams refused to play. And there was a moment where it looked like, from what I could see, it looked like it maybe wasn't going to continue. And it had, what was your take on all of that? Yeah, I mean, after the Jacob Blake shooting, that was in Kenosha, I believe, in Wisconsin, which is only 45 minutes from Milwaukee. So a lot of the players, yeah. obviously, was physically close to where they all live. And all this footage has then come out of their best player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was born in Greece right. and has the most amazing name an NBA player could ever have. Yes, and I spent ages working on that name, like just in my off time. Adetokounmpo, Adetokounmpo. It was up there with Chuito Legiofor. Like they're the <laughs> Lapita Nyong'o. I spend a lot of time by myself just practicing names so I can say them correctly. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a truly world league. Like they just get the tallest people from around the world now and they all come into the NBA. Yeah. And yeah. what Giannis has been in it for six years, I think, seven years or something off the top of my head. Yeah. And it took about three seasons for all the commentators to figure it out. They used to call him the Greek freak because he's 6'11 with long arms and just runs like a gazelle. It's ridiculous. But um, yeah, he and the team, uh, they did get together and they said, no, we are not playing this game in protest of what's happened. Because obviously we all know the George Floyd story that happened a few months ago and that really rallied all the Black Lives Matters and uh, the NBA and you've got to give respect to the league for this is that they've been at the forefront of all these, um, all these social um, situations. And they compared to like, say the NFL, where even people who aren't into sport would probably know about Colin Kaepernick, who a few years ago took a knee during the American Anthem and would do it at the start of every game in retaliation to, you know, how black people are treated in the U S and that's just been a lightning rod for politics and he yeah. was shunned from the league and hasn't worked since, but the NBA have just been really great about it. And they've never let their players discuss all these things and be really forthright in their opinions about it and back them to the hilt. You know, now that they've come back after the pandemic break, black lives matters is on the court. It's written on the court every game. They're allowed to put whatever um, their beliefs almost on the back of their jerseys. Their names are at the, on the back under the number, but then across their shoulders, they've written each player gets to write whatever they want, which is, you know, education reform, vote, uh, Black Lives Matters, whatever they want to stand behind. Yeah. Say her name. Like some of them are, I'm a man. You know, there's some really, really uh, great messaging there. And, and, and because it's, you know, you've only got so much space on the back of a, of a jersey, it, it means that each message is really direct and quite powerful. Yeah. I mean, one of them, which made me laugh a lot, Paul Millsap, who plays for the Denver Nuggets, he's obviously saying, you know, vote, because in America it's not legal to vote. We're about one of the only countries that it is. They force us to vote. And in America, they right. said, you know, get behind it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably reading between the lines here, but, yeah, they're trying to say vote that knucklehead out of the White House. But... <laughs> Paul Millsap is number four for the Denver Nuggets. So his jersey says, vote for Millsap, which feels like he's running for high school president. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. That's great. It's like, uh, I think he's playing later today. I'm going to watch the game just so I can enjoy him running up and down the court, wondering what his platform is. Yeah. Uh, it's the court. Exactly. It's the court. But, um, <laughs> but getting back to what you asked me about, yeah. And then so the Milwaukee Bucks said, we're not playing a game. And then the rest of the league just said, we feel exactly the same way. And we're getting behind this. Because, 
you know, that shooting, uh, Jacob Blake shooting, it's horrendous. I mean, I'm not saying for people to look it up because it's seriously, it is very hard to watch. Like he gets out of his car. He goes to the other side because he was getting his driver's license out of the glove box and the cop shot him in the back seven times. It's disgusting to seven times. And he's in hospital. He's still holding on to life, but obviously he's probably going to be a cripple for the rest of his life. And they're standing up for it. And they said, we're not playing games. And the rest of the league did exactly the same. And they're in the middle of the playoffs. And so that's huge. Uh, and then there was talk that they weren't going to finish the season. But I think they've made the right decision, to be honest, Hammer. I think it's great that they've stood up for it. They took a week off to really, you know, point out the injustices that are happening in America. And I think people will listen because during the pandemic, you haven't got much else to watch other than the sport that's being played. And Well, what was fascinating as well was watching the knock-on effect. Baseball games had the same thing where teams stopped playing. The NFL, which is a a pretty conservative sporting competition, uh, players were, you know, they're only in... uh, training times you know pre-season and they were wearing jerseys with players names and and taking a stance as well so that that one move by the Milwaukee Bucks had a knock-on effect not just within the league but within uh, sporting events not just in America but you saw it in some of the soccer leagues as well players Mm. uh, taking a knee and making a stand so it's it's a it's a pretty powerful gesture that has had the acquired effect. Yeah. And I think it's a different generation of people coming through. I mean, I think that, mm. you know, I know some people get annoyed when they say, oh, sports people, you shouldn't have an opinion, just go out and do your sport. And I'm like, yeah, but I think this generation, not of just sports people, of people coming through, they're, they're much probably more educated than the generations before them were. They're much more proactive. Um, I think, I think it's good to see people like that have a social conscience and those players do understand like any good union. Well, if we don't play, this thing doesn't exist. And so we have that power. And, but I'm happy that they went back because I do believe all the work behind the scenes by the league to get them now. They play in a bubble. They play, we spoke about it last time, they play in Orlando at Disney World, actually. But it's, um, uh, it's just a collection of courts all staying in the hotels there. And, you know, the league has done an amazing job to keep that bubble going to make sure that they can play safely without COVID being an issue. And now that the playoffs are on, the teams that remain, they've got their families to to fly in they've gone through quarantine and then come in and there's a lot of hard work there and for some of the players they still get paid like it's probably quite easy for the multi-multi-multi-millionaires the lebron jameses of the world to say oh, i don't want to play anymore it's like yeah but fine but those other guys and yes they do get paid a lot of money but they're like yeah but i i, I still want my money like <laughs> what am i going to do i'm going to go home the money's not going to come through you know i've got, maybe got a house to pay off yeah, you, the the 10th man on the team is not getting anywhere near as much as, you know, even the third best player. Yeah. So that money's important. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Chris Paul, uh, who is uh, one of the players in the NBA PA president, and LeBron James ended up taking a phone call with Barack Obama. And there were a few other players as well. And he was the one who really mentored them through the process and encouraged them to go back to playing the game because he felt that gave them greater opportunity to get some of these uh, conditions that they wanted to return to the court. And that's kind of fascinating. And also, you just know it pisses off Trump. So that's fantastic as well. (laughs) I, I agree. I agree with you. And I think, 
like so many of those guys, I think it's, and the WNBA, we can't dismiss that either. They're, they're extremely socially progressive, I find, the WNBA and have been, I'd say, more so than the NBA because their players are coming out. Like they've, they've never taken a backward step about what they're saying in the media and, and um, the things. Like even, I know it might be a small gesture, but when they come out to play and there's things written on their T-shirts that really, you know, um, uh, catch cries and making people aware of, what's happening. And I just think that both leagues are doing an amazing job. Yeah. The uh, people forget that uh, one of the WNBA's best players, Maya Moore, literally at the height of her career, stopped playing because she's a lawyer and wanted to get a man who'd been wrongfully convicted for what, two decades in jail. And she wanted to get him out and she got him out. Like, Mm. like that's, that's incredible. Like, could you imagine anyone in Australia, you know, Patrick Dangerfield decides, you know what, I'm going to stop playing because I need to bring about yeah. this change. And it's like, I just, like, it's not even, it's not an attack on anyone else for not doing it. It's just amazing that she did do well, it. Well, it's also amazing that she's a lawyer as well. Where do you find the time? I mean, if, you, if you're in a male league, people would criticize you for going, what are you getting a law degree for? You should be focusing on the sport. That's what people have these tunnel visions these days. And I'm not saying I think women's sport does need more money. It needs obviously uh, more attention. Um, but at the very least, you hear things like that where there's maybe a healthier balance, which I think some, sometimes the men should follow a leading. It's like, yeah, maybe you should still have part-time jobs. Maybe you should still find some balance in your life and not think that this is the be-all to end-all. Yeah, hanging out with some of us uh, normal schmucks just to keep your feet on the ground. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not, um, not us, should... mate, because we're just sycophants. You and I would ruin the whole situation. Oh, yes. So t- tell me about that game that you played in round three back in 1988 that no one else remembers, but I just want to hear you talk. You re- I want to hear all your stories. Do you remember you and I, we, we still play this fantasy out where there's probably four, there's a lot of, I think, 12 or 14 players on a basketball team, but obviously five only on a court at one time. And the last two guys are just token dudes who play in practice and very rarely go on the court unless there's a blowout. And you and I keep saying, we should be, on, we should be the last two on the roster. We'd be on the bench going nuts. We'd be the best interviews. We'd be total hype men. Like if anyone's down, we'll be there cuddling them. What do you need? What do you need from me to make you feel better? <laughs> I'm very good at paying attention to someone when they're talking. It's a, it's a core skill. And I'll make I'll make your eighth best player feel really good about themselves, so they come in and win you a playoff game. Imagine just us, and we always said if there's a blowout and you and I go on the court, like the fans would go nuts. Oh, like they'll be wrapped if I could like just dribble the ball over the halfway line without bouncing it off my knee, or you know, getting it over in time up against a, some incredible athlete. You know, there'd be people in the audience, you know, wearing glasses. <laughs> Just the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the text going around. They're on. They've actually made it. <laughs> what have they done? <laughs> and if we scored, well, you know, you'd know there'd be some sort of uh, tie-in where if Thorno or Hamo scores <laughs> in tonight's game, everyone gets a free Chick-fil-A. That's so true. <laughs> Um, I won't keep you for too much longer, but uh, how are you feeling about the playoffs so far? Who, who's uh, catching your eye? I, I just noticed that Dallas got put out and uh, that's no more Luka Doncic, uh, which is very depressing because he has been a sensation at 21. He has. He's been unbelievable. Honestly, I think about it's similar to the Michael Jordan debut when he made the finals. Remember 
was that 86, I believe. He was out for most of the season. Then they played the Celtics and he went off for 63 points. It's similar to that. Doncic was, it's just been unbelievable. And um, I mean, Utah, Denver is still going. Like you said, you can still watch Paul Millsap. So that's an interesting one. So our boy, Joe Ingles, the Australian one, they're ahead at the moment because they play seven games per series in the NBA because the Americans just can't let things go. And so um, they're still playing. The Lakers got through, Clippers got through, um, and yeah, the Bucks, they, yeah, they beat Orlando once they went back. Um, Maybe very interesting because this is when it's really fun, to be honest. The first round of the playoffs, you go, oh, yeah, there's some teams and I thought they'd get shellacked and they have. There haven't been any surprises really so far. But I think now is when you go. There's always some really good games going into the semifinals. I feel like the team to keep an eye out for is Miami. Mm. Miami Heat look kind of dangerous as a, a team that is very comfortable with who they are. And when a team is very comfortable with what they do, they just stick to that. They're not trying it to push in directions that don't suit the team balance or anything. And I think their series against Milwaukee is going to be, it's going to be a tricky one. Like Milwaukee should win, but Miami, I think are going to be super tough. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them at least make the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the guy who runs the show there, Pat Riley, who's just been, <laughs> I think Pat is now officially 135, but he is still one of the most competitive humans ever. And he, he runs the, he's the GM, I believe, who runs the whole thing. And what I do like about Miami, but anyone here, because I know there'd be a lot of people who would be obviously listening to your podcast because they're into the arts, into movies, into all the things that you are. Just watch Miami because I love their jerseys. It is, they've gone for Miami Vice. It is sky blue, electric blue with highlighter pink riding on it. And I just think they're some of the best jerseys you'll ever see. Oh, yeah. You you feel like if you played for the Miami Heat, you'd play a game and then you'd walk straight off the court and go to a club still in that singlet and you'd fit right in. Totally. You play, play some Gloria Estefan. Yeah. Woo-wee! Like, they just <laughs> look like they want a party. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, why don't you uh, come back uh, in, in the next uh, week or so? We'll, we'll discuss where it's at because I'm sure there's going to be more stances. There's going to be... There are, an incredibly articulate group of players and they will not be standing back and uh, holding their, their mouth while things are going down. So I'm sure there'll be more for us to discuss. Mate, I agree with you. I just think I'm always impressed. And not just with the NBA. I've noticed now a lot of sports leagues around the world. It's not just meatheads now that are doing their thing. It's people that, you know, they know how to talk to the media. They know what's right and wrong. Um, and yeah. yeah, I'm always just impressed. And I know that they will influence kids like sports, but for better or worse, they will influence kids, whether you like it or not. And I just yeah. think they do an amazing job with it. So yeah, mate, I'm happy to come back on. Um, <laughs> even cause you text me what 15 minutes ago, go, do you want to talk about the NBA yeah. on a podcast? And I went a hundred percent. This is now already the highlight of my day. So <laughs> you, you, you were, you were up since like 6am going, wait, like where's, where's the text message? Like, like, when's he going to get in touch? This is bullshit. Nikki's looking at me like, why have you got a full basketball gear on? Hammer's going to call at any time. You've always got to be prepared. <laughs> well, I'm always up for chatting about it. And uh, thanks for jumping on and uh, look forward to seeing where we're at in a, in a week or two. Yeah, look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you.
While I have your attention, I thought I'd take this opportunity to remind you that we're going to put together a live Big Squid performance at Giant Dwarf. I think we're either going to do it at the end of September or beginning of October. We're just trying to work out some dates and how our guests will fit in with everything. We will also be streaming this live for everyone as well, so mark that in your diary. Well, pencil it in your diary until I give you a proper date. But I'll share more information with the next podcast. Now it's time to catch up with Rachel Melanta. Rachel is a young comic that I made friends with in the Sydney comedy scene where she helped produce the very popular and important comedy night, What She Said. Rachel moved to Canada to continue her career, study improv, keep working on her stand-up and she got there just in time for COVID to kick in and she's spent a lot of time in lockdown. But I've been amazed at her positivity and her humour. So I recorded our latest conversation that we had. It was a late Friday night for her and an early Saturday morning for me. I wonder if you can pick up how much thicker my voice seems to be first thing in the morning. I'm a bit fascinated. I don't know if you realise you dropped this, but in, in a very short amount of space, you dropped that your first concert was an emo band. But then you started talking very passionately about Fleetwood Mac. And I'm now very curious about where your musical tastes lie. Um, my musical tastes are everywhere. I think I'm one of those people, and I feel that gets, um, that gets trashed when you say that. Whenever you say kind of like, oh, I like anything. I feel that gets very um, as though you don't know anything about one thing. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like you just don't want to pick a lane almost. Yeah, it's a, and, and people are a bit like, they don't trust you because you don't have a distinct tribe that you align exactly. to. Exactly. I think my favourite band, if I had to choose a favourite band of all time, is Nirvana, which I love Nirvana. I loved Nirvana from when I was about 16 and I just never grew out of it. Absolutely love them. And I always wish I had like been at their concerts because I was born way too late in regards to their run. He died when I was two, I think. I also, like, I definitely through high school went through an emo phase. So, yeah, my first concert was Simple Plan when I was 12. My mum took me. Um, good work, mum. Good mum. My mum, I look back now and go, she went to some interesting concerts because she took my mum, sorry, she took my sister and I both to concerts. And my sister loved Avril Lavigne right. and the Veronica. <laughs> and mum went to both of those. And then we went to um, Simple Plan and Good Charlotte. So my mum was really going off at the concert. Wow, that's that's funny. Is your sister older, younger? Younger, younger, two years younger. Right, yeah. that's a pretty big uh, divide, isn't it? Well, I've, and do you know what's funny? I look now and go, because um, I still in my heart go, I hate Avril Lavigne. And I think I really, though, I've heard her music like here in Canada um, and go, you know, like, she was pretty much on brand with high school Rachel, and I think I only didn't like her because my sister liked her. So. Oh, yeah, that's enough to put you off anything. Oh, very much, and I think, um, oh, yeah, sisters. And we were we're just over 18 months apart too, so definite yeah. Yeah. rivalry there with music. But then as I've gotten older, I've definitely gotten far more into older rock and grungy I don't think you should be too down on yourself about emo music. I think uh, I, I'm a defender of it because I think it's... Uh, I love it. Oh, yeah. I think it's a fascinating period because it's like, it's, it's glam rock for kids in the shadow of September 11. I just think it's so interesting right now that um, Umbrella Academy's come up in such a big way on Netflix. I mean, it's 
by um, Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. And I remember like when I was a big in My Chemical Romance <laughs> when I was about 15 and I would look up like his comic stuff. Yes. And now that I'm in a big way in Netflix. Um, yeah, so I find that. It's going to come back as you wait. It will be. I think they've got a new album coming out. Oh, I'm not actually sure about that, but I would see more men in eyeliner. I think maybe the mask thing now that you can't cover the bottom, can't see the bottom half of your face, we'll see way more like eye makeup coming out, I reckon. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to flip it. Well, that would, be, that would really kind of uh, help a kind of glam rock thing because then you can paint up your, your face mask and... You know, I love it. It's a, it's a lot of, <laughs> it's all always been about masking yourself in some way. So now you can literally do it in new spectacular ways. Well, that's it. You've got to speak with your eyes nowadays. I keep on smiling at puppies and I'm like, neither the owner nor the puppy now understands me. The puppy didn't before, but now. Are you finding that you've got a new uh, aesthetic criteria for who you find attractive? Like, are there some people in masks that before you looked at and you were like oh yeah they're all right and now you look and you go oh my god they look really good in a mask (laughs) oh yeah I think you you notice eyes a lot more like it's very funny just even in my friends who I like see around and we're in our social bubble Mm. um and you're kind of like you have blue eyes I've never noticed wow (laughs) (laughs) it's a thing We don't have to wear masks outdoors here in Toronto we have mandatory that it's only on in inside so only public indoor places, we've got to wear masks. But if you're like outside walking, you don't have to. So has it been okay? Because it seems like Canada from afar, like I see they're doing things like they're not letting their baseball team play in, uh, in Toronto. And they, they seem like they're pretty strict. We've been, honestly, I think doing pretty good. I will make the statement, and I don't know whether I'm just comparing that to the States because they're so close to us right. um, and you get so much news of the states here but honestly Toronto's now we're doing pretty good Ontario's a big state and we're now I think at about under 90 cases a day being diagnosed like they've gotten the numbers pretty good considering how high it was right so it's definitely being managed as much as possible and we're moving forward into phase three now which means that we can have some people sitting inside and it's still social distancing but it's it's a weird experience considering I've now been in quarantine here far longer than I was ever out of it. When did you move to Canada? I arrived in November. So I have had about, I had about four months out of quarantine. And then now I'm in about five and a half in. So the reason I moved to Canada predominantly was for Second City, because that was always something I'd wanted to do for my career from the get-go. Like I started in improv before stand-up. So it was always a dream of mine to do Second City. So that's kind of why I ended up in Toronto. So improv in general is a great community. It's a great way to meet people yeah. and all like-minded, extremely uncool people because we're all doing improv, you know? Right. No, the basic tenet is say yes. Yeah, you have to be my friends. Yeah. <laughs> so they have to appreciate me. They have no choice. And but between that and um, I was like doing a bit of work around and stuff like that. So I met a fair few people before quarantine and the rumour is true that Canadians are bizarrely polite. Right. I, it has been truly really beautiful, I must say, for people I didn't know for that long, how many Canadians, like, who I'd met here reached out to me during the quarantine period, especially at the start, uh, where I was living by myself and stuff, 
the amount of people who reached out was pretty phenomenal and a testament to the kindness of Canadians. How were you in the first throes of it? Was it really quite an existential experience to be so far away from everybody or? No, I dealt with the start really well. The first about a month, and I think it is down to the fact that I've always been an anxious person and it's kind of like that immediate click. And I heard this from a lot of people where it was like, well, the worst has happened. May as well not stress about it. <laughs> it was like, I've been catastrophizing my whole life. You guys have just reached my level. <laughs> so funny. But, you know, Ben Elwood, you know, we were talking about it. And it was like, well, the future seems dark and I don't know what's happening with my career. And I don't really know where to go from here. And welcome to our world, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was honestly the first about, I would say four to six weeks of it. I was almost like uncomfortable with how comfortable I was. I was really sort of coping quite well and was okay. Almost. I mean, since I started stand up, I have never had any remnants of a break, but so I was kind of like, okay, like maybe a bit of reflection. I started writing in a different way and trying to like, Hey, let's like use this time for a new skill. Like, cool. And that lasted for about six weeks and then it all came crashing down and I got real weird for about two weeks. And so, In what way? Well, firstly, I think I just started doing what everyone did where they started having a bit of an existential crisis yeah. and going like, and I think especially with comedy, which is a very uncertain profession to start with, you're never really sure what's happening next, what, where your career is leading, anything like that. I think I started um, getting very am I even in good at stand-up? Like, have I just been delusional for this long? Are people pandering to me? It sort of started to become a little bit, uh, we were talking before about talks with Cal Wilson in previous episodes and about like the concept of taking compliments and acknowledging your wins. And when you get like that, it can be very hard to remember you had any wins. That's one thing I found very quickly. I was like... I could, I could list off to you in those moments, I could list off to you every bad open mic I've done in my mm-hmm. entire time in comedy, but could not think of any, like, I was like, well, I'm just terrible. And then I got on the phone to my friend and she's like, can't you just like Google and read some reviews of yourself or something to feel better? And I was like, well, there's none of those. And I'm like, well, there is, like, just read them. Like, they're on your wall, read them. <laughs> I would prefer that your friend Googled the good reviews for you and then sent you because Googling yourself is, you know, you make. I think you make that mistake twice in your career. First, when you're starting out and then you, oh, I'll just Google my name and then you see some bad shit written about you and you go, oh, my God. And then there's a second time where you just have a bit of a brain fart. You're looking up something, like a quote or something, and then you go, oh, hang on, what's this? And then you go into an existential hole of regret. Are you staying? Because I know there was there was a little bit of, we had a bit of a chat about you possibly moving, but is that on the cards um, now? I'm sticking around in Toronto for the time being. I'm here in Canada for another year um, and then plan to return to Australia. I don't know what will happen after that, but um, I, I have another year on my visa until, well, I have until November at the end of um, next year, 2021, but I doubt I will stay that long. I'll probably be another year from now um, because I'm now doing the conservatory through second city. Um, I was fortunate enough to get into that. So that take is a year program. So once I've done that, um, I'm just going to reassess and see where I'm at, but yeah, I'm not coming back now through COVID. No. Apparently it costs about 20 grand to fly home at the moment too. So. Oh really? Far out. 
Apparently you have to fly, like this is all, don't get me wrong, I have not looked this up myself. This is all through rumour of people who've had their flights cancelled. But apparently you have to fly via Europe to get home um, and because they won't fly via the States or anything. And apparently they're like, there are flights being booked, but you're likely to be bumped like weeks and it's a bit of a mess. So it's not kind of like just jump on a plane home, even if I want to. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre because you know, I live in Surrey Hills and... Like I, I honestly think since uh, COVID has kicked in, I honestly think I've seen three planes. Like I went and did a gig down at the factory in Marrickville and it was so quiet outside and that's so weird. That's weird for Marrickville. That, that's a weird place. The factory theatre always makes me laugh because when you're standing outside drinking, it is so loud. And then you go inside and you don't hear them at all. It's so well sounded. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. And, you, and you're still doing stand-up at the moment as well as impro? Um, well, stand-up is like my predominant thing. I do stand-up and improv. Um, it's just that um, at the moment, everything's pretty much stopped. Like we, I've, we're slowly opening up again here. Like I've got a few shows booked at the end of this month for stand-up. So um, I'm very interested to see how that goes about what the new normal for stand-up is. I think um, I, I've got a couple booked at uh, Comedy Bar here um, and it's like a arguably one of the main venues here and how they're running it is it's um, like the room typically seats 110 and they've got it down to 44 and you can only buy tickets in groups of four and you have to sit in groups of four and the comic has to stand right at the back of the stage and the audience is wearing masks. So I think it'll be interesting because none of those things are particularly conducive to what we know as great conditions for comedy. <laughs> so, Well, you know, that's always better bunched in up against the stage because then the jokes kind of bounce over their heads and now you're going to have the potholes. I'm mostly interested. I want to see if any comedians get up and kind of pretend the quarantine didn't happen. Like I kind of want someone to get up and be like, so like I've been dating a lot on the apps lately, like, or just something like, or it says, I don't know, like I was doing this last week or, you know, so I was just recently got back from a tour in America and just pretend like, the whole thing it didn't happen and just to see how that goes down whether anyone just pretends it didn't occur because I sort of feel like how are you supposed to do dating stuff and all you know my dating life just has not been going off during no. quarantine well, that's, well I, I unfortunately know someone who has been you know when someone mentions it at first and you go oh yeah and you're, you're thinking oh that's not a good idea and then they told me by the accumulative third I had to say hey man like what the fuck are you doing this is really bad this is Anyway, they live in Victoria and he's a security guard. <laughs> I'm not an app user. I do not like the apps at all. I've never owned them. never had them, ever. And because I find them really creepy. But <laughs> I'm an awkward person, I think, at the best of times um, with, like, dating. And I find the concept of... I, it just feels like too much pressure meeting up with someone with that pretense that, based on looks on an app. I, I don't know. I don't like it. But I have friends who, like have been like since the start of quarantine have been like matching on apps and that and but they haven't met up yet and they've just been like maintaining this online dialogue with this person they haven't met for months now and I'm like is this the world's greatest litmus test like is the best way like surely by the time you meet up you're gonna know like a lot about them you know you will have weirded out a lot of weirdos in that time so I'm thinking should I have gotten on this should I have been doing this? 
Well, you know, the other thing is is that it, because it will take so long, it probably gives you more of an opportunity to work out if maybe someone's just a friend. I've never used the apps either, and I, my problem is is that just because you might have similar interests, it doesn't mean you have them for the same reason. Do my head in if, uh, oh, this person loves David Bowie, I love David Bowie. And then we meet up and she says, he never did anything better than Labyrinth. And I'd be like, oh. It's so many things I think that are just deeper than a lot of stuff. Like I vividly remember when I was about 19 going on a date with a guy and within like the first 10 minutes, he told me he thought the movie Step Brothers was funnier than the movie Mean Girls. And I, in that moment, went, yeah, we're not going on a second date. Like, that's against something I believe in. Like, <laughs> you just offended my life philosophy. <laughs> yeah. I can't with you. That's a no. <laughs> if I'd been your wingman, I would have, like, I would have encouraged that to be over as quickly as possible <laughs> as well. I'd say, yep, I come on. I know people love Step Brothers. I know that, I, I know it wasn't for me, but I know I, it's a cult. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Classic movie, people love it and very about it. But I'm sorry, funnier than Mean Girls. You've got to have a line and it, it defines who you are. And if they cross it, that's on them. <laughs> so we'll have to have you uh, back on. Where can people find you on the socials? All the socials are Rachel Melanta. That's it. No dots, no nothing. I'm very creative. Uh, Great to chat to you, and uh, let's chat again soon. Definitely. Thanks. Just a reminder, over at my site, justinhamilton.com.au, you can find a whole lot of short stories and blogs, and you can even read my thoughts on Chadwick Boseman. And actually, you know what? Even under that blog, If you would like to share your thoughts, please do. It's under the latest edition of Dispatches from the Fury Road. But for now, it is time to bring in my good friend and the always wonderful Cal Wilson. How are you going, Cal? Uh, This is what week of lockdown this time? Um, Triangle? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it might be... Well, someone said they thought it was four, but then they worked out it was only three and they were sad. And I was like, I'm just not even thinking about it. This is this is what week of lockdown it is. Um, uh, manager emailed me the other day and said, so you've got uh, this gig. It's going to be pre-recorded on Thursday night instead of uh, going live Friday. And I was like, okay, um, I'm just a bit worried about the curfew because I'll need to be home by eight o'clock. And is it at the same studio that we recorded the other thing? And she was like, you just... 
not leaving the house. You're just doing it from your spare room. And I had got it confused with another gig that I'm doing in a couple of months' time where I actually leave the house and go to a studio. But I just decided in my mind that this gig was the one that I leave the house for. And I was like, oh, gosh, do I have to get a special dispensation to be out after 8 o'clock? Because it's starting at 7.30, so we're not going to be finished by 8. I just got myself into this whole confusion where I just transferred two gigs into one and then when she emailed me back I was like I've lost my mind I've just lost my mind I'm just (laughs) making up interesting new facts about everything oh it's it's officially happened this year hasn't it where I think you have to be kind to yourself so like one of the things that I'm trying to do is you know trying to keep myself busy by generating work and and doing stuff from home and writing and and producing etc and then there's just days where y- you just don't have it going do you because there is the only motivation you have is to keep a level of sanity by producing a body of work that at some point someone may want to give you money for. Yeah, yeah. This is this is where I'm at. So this is what happened yesterday. So there's a fancy croissant place um, that announced on Instagram that they were delivering to our suburb a couple of days ago. And friend went, oh my, oh my God, they're delivering to Sunshine. So I was like, oh, this will be a great surprise for Digby. I will buy, and Chris, I will buy expensive croissants for all of us. They're going to turn up at nine o'clock and we're going to have fancy pastry for breakfast and it will be really exciting and really fun. And so the delivery thing was between nine and 12 and I was keeping my little secret to myself for days being excited about it and then the croissants turned up at quarter to 12 I think and uh, there was a crisis at Chris's work so he couldn't stop to eat them and Digby wasn't hungry and it was just this complete apathy like I, I was excited I saw the van outside and I was like you answer the door Digby and Digby's like oh it's a box of croissants and was so not aware of the emotional uh, weight that I had attached to the croissants and then so I was like, oh, well, I've got to quickly go and do the grocery shopping. So I had a little cry in the car and then I came home and Chris had sorted out the work stuff and Digby was hungry and it was all fine. But I'd had this little explosion in the car of like, this, I'm hanging all of my emotional health on a box of croissants and it has not gone the way I planned it. Uh, I feel like all of that makes so much sense to me because... Like, you know, someone could say, oh, croissants, why are you getting upset about croissants? But I was in a bad mood all of last week from the moment that I bought tickets to see the movie Tenet because I knew an outbreak could happen at any given second and we could go into lockdown and to be so close to see the movie. snatched away from you. Absolutely. And I didn't realise it, but I was just, you know, and it's embarrassing to admit because I'm nominally a grown-up but I just realised I was essentially pretty cranky and a little bit short for the week with everyone. And then I saw it and, and then I was, you know, I was back. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, it's, like, um, it's like equilibrium is hanging by a fragile spider's web at the moment. Right. And, and, and you know what it is also is because you are holding your shit together. Like you are, you're holding your career in your head and making certain that everything's working there. You're keeping an eye out for your husband, who is, of course, keeping an eye out for you, but you're still looking out for him to be his support. And you're also trying to raise Digby and give him the kind of support in an environment that we've never had any training for. Yeah. So you've got 
all of that going on. And of course, the thing that's going to break you is the fucking croissants. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, the other thing that's happened is that Digby fractured his wrist. So, so he is a massive keen basketballer, as you know. Um, and he was excited about all the practice he'd started doing during lockdown because he's like, when he, you know, when basketball eventually returns, he's going to be, uh, he's he's going to have skilled up a bit because he's he's been. I keep saying rehearsing. He's been practicing. Um, and then he ran out the door a couple of weeks ago to play one on one with Chris and fell on his arm and fractured his wrist. And so, appearance of the year went. Does it hurt as much as it hurt when you broke your arm when he fell out of bed and fell on his arm last year, the day after Comedy Festival finished? Um, and two years ago. Oh, I'm losing my mind. Uh, so anyway, so he was like, no, I don't think it's broken because it doesn't hurt as much as it did. And so we, you know, we were we were gently pressing it and it seemed to be fine. And, and then later on that night he was like, oh, it's a bit sore. And I was like, well, we'll see how it is in the morning. And in the morning he was like, no, I think it's fine, but it it's still really sore. And so Chris took him in and he got a buckle fracture, which is like the bone is compressed together. So it's not, it's not the worst thing you can do, but it needs attention. So they put him in this little splint and they told him he'd have to be in the splint for three weeks and that uh, he could go to the chemist and get like one of those uh, old people hand support splints, you know, with the Velcro and you've got, it's like a fingerless glove, but it's got a metal rod in it kind of thing. And so he was kind of excited about that because it looked really cool. And then, and then he went. We went back in for a checkup the next week, and the um, the paediatrics department went. Oh no, no, you have to have that in a cast for five weeks. And so they, you know, surprise fiberglass. And so then he was just so upset at the idea of being in a full fiberglass cast for five weeks. It's on his right hand. So I have been his secretary for two weeks. <laughs> so doing doing grade five maths. Uh, learning some things and just totally not understanding some others. And so it's been this intense, intense, just, the, and you know, and bickering between ourselves of like, well, no, you can't just try and draw it. You should open your text box and type it in. Like it's like all that kind of. That's a lot. Like I, I feel bad for saying I was cranky for a week about tennis. <laughs> but I totally get that because it's like this little beacon of hope. It's like you are. This is my. This is my beautiful, delicious croissant that everyone is going to be so excited to eat. But maybe they won't deliver it. You just want those moments of not thinking about things, and it's been, you know, it's been a challenging year for everybody. Like you know, you don't. Uh, it, it's you're not on an island with this experience, but everything kind of hits you at different points. There, there's been moments where I'm sure you've found when you're talking to people and you're really good and you're feeling great and you can be a real emotional support for some people. And then there's times where it's flipped and it, sometimes people might not quite realise because you've been the support, they don't realise that now it's your turn to have a little freak Stumble, out. or. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, you, you know it's it's just really tricky, and it's like we're constantly reinventing the rules as things go along. Yeah, it's um, and you know, like I'm so grateful for the position that we're in that Chris has work, and <clears throat> you know we we have a roof over our heads, and and we we've kind of lost our jobs, but we still there's still some kind of job happening. You know, like mm. I know we're in a really fortunate position, but it is it's like um, do you remember those games where it's like a um. It's like a square box and it's got knobs on either end of it and it's a maze and there's holes in it and you've got to get a marble from one end to the other. What do you call yes. that? I don't know what you call them, but I know exactly what you're talking I about. I feel like we're in one of those. 
you know, like, I just want to get to the other end, but, oh, shit, there's a hole, and suddenly the floor is tilting, and then, yeah, it's just that, that it's, yeah, it, it, the parameters keep changing all the time. Yeah, just as you get all the way down, you, you hit a dead end, you have to go back. Yeah. It's Yeah, yeah, that is such a perfect metaphor uh, for what we're experiencing. I'm also really curious, Digby uh, being a, a big basketball fan, it, we're recording this on the 27th of August, it's a Thursday morning, and is he aware that the NBA teams have boycotted playing? No, he's, he's not yeah, because of the police uh, violence and brutality towards African-Americans uh, that's been taking place. And uh, there was the gentleman on the weekend who uh, was shot. Uh, I don't think he was uh, – he wasn't murdered, but he was – He survived with seven shots in the back. They shot him seven times in the back as he went back to the car to get to his kids, from what I understand it. So the teams have boycotted playing today to draw attention to it. And uh, is Digby aware of what's going on in the NBA in that regard? And how does he feel about um, it? I've made sure that he watches every that he watches the lead up to the game, so that he sees right. people taking a knee and that they talk about Black Lives Matter and we discuss what they've got on the back of their jerseys because I think it's a really important uh, context to have, and I think it's a really important moment. Like I, I hope this is the moment, like the the tipping point in history that he will look back on and go, well, that's when things started to shift. You know, not that the NBA is going to do it, but that it's it's part of everything else that's happening. So he's kind of aware of it. He's really, um, he wrote something for school the other day and he, that the question was something about what do you want to change about the world? And he said he wanted there to be no racism and he wanted to support feminism. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, I have indoctrinated him well. Uh, So so it was... And I want mum to stop getting upset about croissants. (laughs) They are the three things I need in this world. I want no more pastry distress from my parents. Um, Yeah, so he's kind of aware of it. Yeah, because I think it's important to talk about and... Uh, we watched a show called The Jump, I think, which is hosted by this great woman called Rachel Someone. Who, Rachel Nichols. I love her. She's so good. She's so good. I love a tiny woman talking to big, powerful, tall men and just beautifully liaising everything. So All of it. And you know that uh, if you follow her on Instagram, she puts up these direct-to-camera pieces and she writes all of them. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm... I'm Yes, well, now I know what her last name is. I'm, how terrible. I love that woman, Rachel something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're new to the basketball world. That's fine. You know who she is. But, yeah, she's, she's the best. And, and she, she's got a cheeky sense of humour. She knows her stuff. She pushes back against some of the legends of the game if she doesn't agree, completely agree with their viewpoint, but does it in a way that isn't breakfast radio, it's a discussion. Yeah, and also she's absolutely secure in the fact that she's the anchor. Like Because we, mm. we, we talk about the um, like watching the, the footy shows and when you've got a woman host, there's one, I, I can't remember uh, what channel it's on, but she's the host, but she sits at the side. So I think Eddie Maguire is in the centre. And it's like, oh, but the hosts always sit at the side. I'm like, yeah, but why have you got the host at the side? Like, why is one of the panellists the centre? Like, just make him the host. If he's, if you want to put him in the centre, make him the fucking host and don't do your lip service by having a... Like, put the woman in the centre if she's the host. I mean, in the scheme of things. But it just it's like Rachel Nichols, you know that she's in charge of the show and that she's running things. I love that. I love her absolute um, certainty and uh, just 
you know, composure in that role. Yes, and her her pieces about uh, Black Lives Matter, and I think she's been really articulate uh, about what's going on. She gets it all out in such a concise way as well. And, uh, you know, this is possibly, for Digby, this might be his version of the 60s. So hopefully there's there's good stuff coming out of it. I'm curious about that stuff because that's the kind of thing that my mum used to always talk to me. And that's why, you know, when we'd go to the cricket, I'd... I barracked for the West Indies because they had Viv Richards, they had Michael Holding. Like, if we went to the games, you'd hear these awful racist things yelled out by some of the audience, like some of the crowd. Like, not, like I'm not pretending that it was from everybody, but you would just hear stuff. And because mum drew attention to that kind of behaviour from a young age, it, it, you know, like, well, I'm going to barrack for those guys because you shouldn't be yeah. putting up with that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, you do. It, it, it's it's really funny. We we always, as uh, not us in particular, but older people always shit on the younger generation and always say, oh, they, are, they don't understand. They don't get it. They haven't lived a life. But the fact remains, they're pure and they see the world correctly. They see it without the politics. They see it without any sense of built-up prejudice. And when they talk about their fears of the environment and how they don't want racism to be a thing anymore and how they do want to explore their their gender and their sexuality free of compromise, that's actually what it's meant to be. We can learn a lesson from that and hopefully with you know, role models showing the way. Like the NBA, I've noticed that the baseball has also uh, cancelled their games. Hopefully these kids will continue to feel empowered with these thoughts and make change over the next few decades. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a big moment. I wrote online that I wished that the AFL had done this with Adam Goods. I'd always said it would have been so powerful when people were booing Adam Goods and it had turned into this awful moment of racism, how powerful it would have been for Eddie Maguire at quarter time to lead his walk out onto the field and walk his team off and refuse to play the rest of the game. That's that's proper leadership. And I, I know that the pushback to that kind of thing is, well, you don't understand what it would do financially and what it would do for, for the sponsors and that, but that's why it would be real leadership. And I think it would have changed the way the game is seen and and I know that it's you know there's people being murdered and goods was being booed but it all stems down to racism and it's 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 you know you're splitting hairs if you are saying that they're not the same thing and and we I I find it difficult to follow the AFL now because I I, I don't respect the people in charge of the game and I think they did a really poor job of uh, leading our way through a a tumultuous time. All the thoughts here in uh, <laughs> Shay Day. Now, I have to apologise to you. I keep getting the name of your segment incorrect, and I don't know why I do that. You pointed it out to me. I have no idea. I've got some kind of spoonerism but what, going with it. What I love is that, so I was thinking the proudest, my proudest shame, and then you turned it into my prideful shame, which turned it into a kind of Jane Austen-sounding like it sounds quite sort of 18th century, um, oh, Mr. Darcy, like it's sort of my prideful shame or it sounds a little bit like surrendered wives or something like it. So so it's either it's either sort of 18th, 19th century or it's the Handmaid's Tale dystopian future kind of. Right, yeah. 
Coming up next, Heathcliff and his issues. Well, the reason it got changed to my prideful shame is because I kept writing it down in my notes as my shameful pride. So do you know what I mean? Yeah, you just switched it back. I just, anyway, I was all over the place with it. I'm really sorry about that. So fine, so fine. But Tim Unwin, who said it was okay to say his name, thank you, Tim, uh, has sent in a scorcher. Oh, how exciting. Yeah, I, I like when I was reading this, I <laughs> I got really oh Tim, this is fantastic on all the levels. So, so what we what we wanted was for people that uh, had something that still played on their mind that kept them awake at night. There was a a moment of shame or guilt for them to tell us what their moment was. I can't wait. The secret pride that he has is shorter, but it comes out of of his his shame so so he uh he wrote to me uh from my teenage years aren't they all (laughs) tim is so correct he he uh, tim writes i low-key sidled into a band in high school in a very unsubtle and oblivious way kicking the other drummer out it was my brother's band and they had a drummer coincidentally she was the sister of the guitarist my dad was a teacher at my high school and so when the new drum kit for school was purchased it lived in our garage for a while where I picked it up there was never actually a conversation about me replacing this girl but I distinctly remember her brother saying oh is Tim in the band now anyway the fact that we didn't have a real conversation about any of us still keeps me up at night and Tim like I don't even know this girl and since I've read this email i have been kept up at night oh my god (laughs) Uh, tim (laughs) that is amazing so how do we rationalize this for tim i think it's just the oblivion isn't it like you are oblivious um yeah you're just oblivious as a teenager and you know maybe maybe your brother and the drummer's brother should have gone hey so what's going on here but i guess it's that awkward of you know as a teenager what are you gonna say I'm not Stephanie's drum kit. Like, like, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I, what I'm, what I'm struck by is what is her side of the story? Like, right? How did, does she think about it? Or is she like, oh, remember that that dick just took my place in the band? Or is she like, oh, I didn't know how I was going to get out of that band. I'm so glad that other guy. I'm so glad that Tim <laughs> sat in. I love the idea that maybe she was freed from it. Like <laughs> she was like, oh, they don't have a drummer. I'm stuck with this band trying to help these plotters you know find their way oh thank goodness for Tim Unwin like he really got me out of that but but also it could be maybe this is her teenage me too movement she got drum splained by a guy like (laughs) so or, or is Mr Unwin the music teacher has he like his dad intervened and gone Hey, look, you know, it'd be really great if Tim could be in your band, your brothers, you look out for each other. Oh, yeah. Maybe this is uh, not about the the girl at all. Maybe there's a a conspiracy behind it all where poor Tim was uh, a a little bit lonely. Yeah. And his his dad, dad, the Machiavellian music teacher, has uh, has gone, my son needs a peer group. I'm going to pop in him with his brother. She shouldn't be hanging around a garage with a bunch of guys anyway. She should she should be in an all uh, all girl rock band. <laughs> like she should be doing her own thing. And then uh, you know maybe he looked at Tim and thought, well, he could be the next Dave Grohl. Starts off on drums, starts forming his own band. Then I'll manage my son. I'll make some sweet coin. And it wouldn't be wouldn't it be great to find out that like she went on to be in Hole or something or the Breeders or. <laughs> like, oh right, that's what we need to know. Yeah. <laughs> 
So this is the thing that always makes me laugh with these kinds of stories. <laughs> Should Tim get in touch with her and apologize? <laughs> because I, it's it's one of those things where I could imagine he could get in touch with her and say, hey, I'm really sorry about the way that went down. And she might say, haven't thought about it yeah. since. Or, you know what, I really appreciate that. It was really shitty because I enjoyed the band. But there's also... You know, is is it being cathartic for your own? Yeah, yeah, selfishly cathartic, yeah. So I feel like the only way that this could take place is if they both end up at a school reunion. Like, because I don't think I don't think Tim can get in touch with her because how weird would it be if 30 years later or 20 years later a guy contacts you and says, oh, do you remember when you used to be in a band and then you weren't? I'm so sorry about that. Like, because either you haven't remembered about it and it didn't mean anything and you're like, what? What are you talking? Oh, why are you? Ugh. Like, how did you get my number? Like... I feel like the only way it can happen is uh, for them to accidentally or coincidentally run into each other at like a school reunion or whatever. So then it's just, a, oh my God, this has been this has been weighing on my mind. I'm so sorry, but I did this thing and I wasn't aware. And so then it's going to be like a, oh, how funny, as opposed to, oh Jesus, like h- how much have you been trying to find me? Or, or if there's like a degree of, you know, like his brother still knows her brother or like if there's, a, if there's like a gentle way to introduce the idea rather than, I've tracked you down, which, you know, I'm not suggesting Tim is doing this for any sinister purposes, but I just think if someone did that to me, I'd be like, holy fuck, where did this come from? (laughs) You know, I'm actually really inspired that I want this to be like a movie now. I want Tim to, if this was a movie, we'd start with the band back in the day and Tim squeezing the girl out to be a part of it. They have a little bit of success and then one day that the school reunion's happening, Tim shares with his wife this, or his brother shares with Tim's wife this funny story and his wife and his two daughters turn on him and really, (laughs) really make him feel bad about it. And then what happens is the band's asked to reform for the school and they reform and he tries to talk to her about it and she has no interest in having a chat with him. And then when he gets up on the stage, he, before anything can happen, he's, he asks everyone to just stop for a moment. We have a really awkward silence. And uh, by the way, I love that her name's Stephanie. And he yells out, Stephanie, and throws her the drumsticks. And she catches both of them. <laughs> End of the movie. Netflix. Cal and I right here. Tim, will put you in because it's your story. <laughs> See, because I, I envisage the movie starting on the scene of like Tim. Tim has followed his dad into being a music teacher. And it's like, it's like Harry Tim at the front of the class. And for some reason, he's wearing one of those um, American college professor jackets with the leather elbow patches. You know, and he's and he's harried at the desk, and like there's a cacophony in the in the classroom, and he's oh, and then he's got new students and stuff, and he reads the role, and then there's someone in the class, there's a girl in the class that has the same last name as Stephanie, because obviously Stephanie from that moment has gone, well, I'm not taking shit from anyone. She doesn't change her last name if she gets married; it's her last name. Uh, and then um, like Veronica, her daughter, is in the class and is an amazing drummer, like like. The second, the second generation take it on. Maybe, uh, maybe Tim's daughter is in a band, and that Tim's son is in a band, and Veronica slides in and kicks him out of the band. Like it's like you know the destiny playing out in every generation of the two great warring families. It's becoming Shakespearean. Oh no, I love it. This is good. No, this is becoming big. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so who yeah. who do we see playing Tim Unwin? Is it Jack Black? 
Oh, I see. No, I was thinking someone like I was thinking like serious, like Hugo Weaving or something like a real like. Oh, we're going. Oh, we're going Australian. Oh, that's probably a good yeah. idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hugo Weaving would be fun. And then Greta Scarchi. Yeah, yeah. As the as the. Yep, yep. And then who are the who are our teens? Margot Robbie would have to play Veronica, obviously. She'd be too old to play. Or, or do uh, we do that traditional thing where the leading woman is decades younger than the leading man, so it would be Margaret Robbie <laughs> instead of Greta Scarchi. <laughs> Look, we want to sell it to Hollywood, so yes, <laughs> we have a massive yep. age discrepancy. <laughs> but no one notices. I was, it was Sean Connery turned 90 uh, the other day. Wow. And there, I think the – I think in Entrapment, with, uh, oh, who's the actress in Entrapment? I know her so well. Anyway, I think he is 70 and she's 35. <laughs> it's like, what is it in um, in Forrest Gump? Sally Fields, who plays Tom Hanks' mother, is only five or six years older than him? Yeah, the, the only time that is actually fine is when Sean Connery only plays Harrison Ford's dad in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and he's only 12 years Older. <laughs> yep. Um, and then I have this weird... Oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Sorry. Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery. <laughs> and I think he's like 70 and she's like 35. Yeah. I think, But I think that's real life for her as well, isn't it? Like, because she's married to Michael Douglas. <laughs> I can't remember the film, but I remember being very uncomfortable uh, watching a love scene between Rachel Griffiths and Pete Postlethwaite. Oh, right. Which I can't even remember. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that mining movie that heartwarming miners movie um but yeah she was definitely a young woman he was definitely an amazing actor but a much older man i remember at the time me going i'm not sure i like this which trope do you find more offensive the older man with the younger woman you know as love interests or the unattractive fat man with the super hot wife ah i think it's the older man younger woman because they go because looks you know like funny goes a ways, but also I feel like I just feel like the old man, young woman, woman thing is just so. I always get stuck in the like the logistics of it, of like, oh, how much, how much life and how much baggage has he got? And then she's going to be older, looking after a very elderly partner. Yeah, that's what I'm planning for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to marry someone really young when I'm having trouble getting out out of the chair. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've done it. I've got a much younger husband. He's three years younger than me. So I'm hoping that those, <laughs> I'm hoping that that will be a crucial three years. Works out as well. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because do you see it reversed that often? Surely there's been a movie where Helen Mirren has been dating a younger man. Oh, I'm bound to. But you see, you're only allowed to have Helen Mirren. Like she's, you're only allowed to have one representative of hot older women and it's Helen Mirren. She's, she's it. We've got one. None of the rest of you need to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she has, but I'm sure it must be like a movie where he has his dalliance with her and then he goes on to have a air quotes normal relationship kind of thing. I've got, I've got, how many people do I know where I've got older women, younger men that it works really well and it makes sense in real life? Well, you know, what's really interesting is the sexual politics of a movie like Bull Durham, where Susan Sarandon literally takes on the rookie for the minor league baseball team and has a sexual and sensual relationship with them and she essentially teaches them how to be grown-ups and gets them ready for the majors and that's her choice and that's what she does and that's what she's always done and then she meets Kevin Costner who's her age who's not going to get caught up in those 
kind of what he believes are games, whereas she sees it as providing an education for these Wow. These men and she has her fun with it. And I think there's a lot going on there, don't you think? Yeah. So what? I've never seen it. I know the film, but I've never seen it. But if you watch that now for the first time, would you be like, holy shit, she's grooming everybody? Like, would it still... Well, they're, they're still grown-ups. Like, they're not, they're, not, uh, they're not teenagers. Do you know what I mean? Like they're... Oh, okay, so they're in their 20s. It's Susan Sarandon and uh, it's Tim Robbins. Yeah. So he's And they in... were in a partnership for... A... Well, they came. They got into a partnership out of that movie. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a really funny, sexy movie. And I haven't watched it in ages, but I'd be curious to know what it does. Like she, she does things like ties him up and reads him poetry by Walt Whitman. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's. This, this sounds like a very white movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's a, it's a very much a baseball movie. But it's a, but it is it, it is an interesting. But that is. An older woman who is in complete control and in charge, has her life all sorted out and knows what she wants and doesn't want. And it's funny that it's the, you know, it's the love triangle between the older, full of baggage, Kevin Costner, and the young guy full of promise who's a bit of a knob in Tim Robbins. Yeah, right. Yeah. I went out with a guy that was older than me, like he was... 14 years older than me and at the time I thought that was kind of great but then after a while I was just like oh he's just had so much more adulthood than I have and anything that I was sort of doing for the first time he'd he'd done it with a previous girlfriend kind of or I'd seen a band in Auckland he'd seen them in uh, New Orleans or something you know like yeah. the, and in the end I was kind of like oh I just I just like to be having experiences on my own timeline and like you know we've got friends with age gap relationships that work out really well. I know from having seen so many films where it's older men younger women that when when you hear about a relationship that's an older woman younger man you're like oh that does not work you know like it's it's because it's so against the thing yeah. that we're taught as usual. Yeah, it's, it, people underestimate the power of storytelling and how it, uh, yeah. it uh, infuses everyday life so just because of something that fits perfectly in a three-act structure in 120 minutes doesn't necessarily mean it translates into the real world. Hence, you watch these movies and you go, what do they talk about when the movie's ended? Like, what do these characters yeah. talk about when, like, happily ever after essentially means we chose to stop at the moment that it was happy. Yeah. I always used to, and I can't remember that I've said this to you before, but if whenever there was a movie where, like, I think I I think I thought it in, like, maybe Reindeer Games with... um. Was it C. Thomas Howell in that or Matthew Broderick? It was one of those, like, 80s films. And I think one of the characters has to shoot someone. But after a movie where, some, where like, the hero has shot someone, I'd always wonder about whether they'd have to get counselling. Like, because you've shot someone. Like, you've murdered a person. And I imagine that that's, you know, like, I imagine there's some kind of level of PTSD that goes yes. along with that. And I just always remember being like, oh, but, it, but he shot somebody. Like, or she killed a guy. That's not a happy ending. You know, at the end of the Shawshank Redemption, when when Tim Robbins uh, finally goes and, and meets up with Morgan Freeman and, and everything's happy, I'm sure there's nights where he doesn't sleep very well because he was brutally attacked night after night for a decade in a prison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not just, like, oh, well, that's over. That's good. Like, <laughs> Let's make this boat. Um, so back to Tim. Where oh, have yes. we got to with Tim? <laughs> so we should, so poor, poor Tim has also sent in his secret pride, which reflects uh, the, the music side of things, where he says uh, he has achieved a stereotypical goal during lockdown, and he has learned to play guitar 
properly. And he's rapped because he said, I, I always thought he had, he said, I always thought my little fingers, and he puts in brackets, I don't know if you know this, think Charlie Claus and sized hands. Like Charlie has really <laughs> small hands. <laughs> Charlie talks about it all the time. No one's having a crack here. Uh, But he said, I'd always thought my little fingers weren't up to the job, but I've persevered. Hooray. So he's learned how to play guitar. That's amazing. You know what we should ask him to do? Can he please? Write us a song. Yes. About the regret that he feels for the woman we've decided is called Stephanie. Uh, um, And could Tim do the drumming and the guitar? So he's got a... He'd go full Prince. (laughs) Multi-instrumental. Oh, man, I love that. Tim, thank you so much for sending that in. It is perfect. Remember when I texted you to say, I have just received yep. the best email, and and I said to you, do you want to know about it beforehand, or do you want me to read it out to you? You were like, just give it to me while we're recording. Yep. And, uh, Tim, you have knocked that out of the park. That is so good. I was thinking about Stephanie. Like, now, now I, because now I do want to know what happens to Stephanie, but I don't want you to get in touch, Tim. No, don't. I think, <laughs> I think um, yeah, if it, if it happens organically, if it's like through a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, yep. and then when it comes back through that chain, any time along the chain where they go, oh, she's still really pissed off about it, then that just doesn't make it back and they never had the conversation. Yeah. But if it's like a, ah, oh, no, she, that made her really laugh and she's like, oh, don't even worry about it, then that's the story that comes back. But if you do want to record a song about Stephanie with your yes. new guitar skills, we will play it on this podcast and we will love it with all our hearts. Um, now, the other thing that's occurred to me, which is very unkind, but do you think that Tim has tiny Charlie Clawson-sized hands and he doesn't realise he's learnt the ukulele? <laughs> I'm so sorry, Tim. Tim, you're going to have to not only write us a song, we want to see a photo as well so we can go, oh. Like, who thought that you would find a guitar in a Kinder Surprise? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that was such – thank you so much, Tim. It was such a great story. Hey, so my my, uh, recent – thing that I'm proud of and my thing that I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed of the fact that we were supposed to record last week and I just totally forgot. I just totally forgot. But the reason I forgot, which is my proud thing, is I spent three days in our roof cleaning out the attic. Oh, amazing. It is amazing. Did you find anything that... I found, I, what I found, which I kind of knew was there, was that, uh, and I'm going to put Chris under the bus. This is solely Chris. He has kept, or he did keep every single box that an appliance or piece of technology came in. Every single box. So, like, I get it. I get it while the warranty's still happening. But we had uh, we we had an iPod box. That was an exciting find. We don't have that iPod anymore. So many phone boxes. Um, just bo- just boxes with other boxes inside them. Like the first day was just me throwing boxes down the attic ladder. Like it was quite cathartic, but it was amazing. And then I found all the stuff that I'd kept, which is like old costumes from shows and things and stuff. But what I did find, which I was quite excited about, I did a show a few years ago called The Great Intender um, because I'm a terrible procrastinator. And what I did at the time was I offered uh, audience members the chance to um, to kind of tick something off their list of things they hadn't done. And it was that I'd, I'd got married uh, by that stage, I think five or six years before, and I still hadn't sent out my thank you cards to everybody. Like I, 
I, and I actually found some when I went through the attic. I was like, oh, shit, Matt and Bella still never got there. <laughs> We've been married for 13 years now. So uh, so what I did at the time was I got a stamp made up with Dear Space. Thank you for the space. It's a lovely gesture. Sincerely appreciated yours, Space. And so on stage, I wrote thank you cards for people, but I filled it in for the thing that they hadn't said thank you for. Um, so what what I've done, because I am a hoarder, just not of boxes of appliances, I've still got, I've got so many envelopes, Juzzy. I've got like a hundred envelopes. I've got a hundred cards. I've got a hundred thank you cards. So if anybody has something, I'm kind of changing this the changing the format of the segment, but if anybody has something that they would like to send someone a thank you card for, that they've felt bad that they haven't done it, if they want to email us, I will write them a card on their behalf to the person for the thing that they haven't thanked the person for. I love it. Um, and we use up some of these cards and envelopes. I'll send it back to the person who's emailed us rather than just a card from someone they don't know arriving at their address from a stranger. But then it's up to the person who emailed it. Have I made that clear or have I made it too complicated? Yeah, no, that's good. So if someone hasn't sent a thank you card for present or whatever they've received, if they email us at the Facebook page and let us know who the person is and what it is for, you will fill it out and we will yep, on their behalf. And we will pass the card back to them so then they can yep. send it on. So it could be anything. It could be thank you for the support after the baby was born. Like it could be could be anything. Thanks for the emotional support uh, throughout <laughs> lockdown. You might Yes. Yes, that's lovely. So because then if I do that, it means there's a reason for me having kept this shit. Like, I've, you know, I've got a stamp pad, I've got a stamp that I had made. I had a stamp made. So if anyone wants to do that. And then the other thing I found, Jazzy, <laughs> having thrown Chris under the bus for keeping boxes, <laughs> I have found, this is what wonderful sound effects I'm doing. I have found, you see that? Yeah, what is that? Oh, that is uh, two and a half thousand flyers. Oh. So these are, these are, there's not quite that many left in there, but I had footy cards made up for my footy show. So I've got, I've got hundreds of these little cards, which are like footy cards. Um, and I looked at them and I was like, I'm actually quite proud of all the stuff that I came up with that, but what the fuck am I going to do with hundreds of copies of photographs of myself in footy gear for a show that was done in the past? You either remount the show or you go and <laughs> fulfil your dream of playing uh, in the footy league <laughs> to justify all the cards. So you get into training now. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, I had I had a moment last year in the lead up to the Adelaide Fringe where I had to memorise uh, those the uh, the ballad of John Tildanima shows, and I was having real difficulty focusing, and could not get into it. like I'd just sit in front of the computer and or I'd look at the scripts and vague out or whatever, and then I had this moment of mild mania which uh, might be linked to something else. But anyway, it was uh, as in, you know, there's a distinct possibility. There was something mildly on the spectrum about this. But I had this moment where in the span of four hours, I got rid of 90% of my CDs, a whole lot of books, a whole lot of wow. stuff in the in the cupboards, boxes, fucking boxes, and took them uh, clothes, took them all down to Goodwill, just loading up 
walking down and it was like at the end of this four hour and I couldn't do anything else. I was just so manic at the time. And then at the end of it, so relaxed, had a nice little bite to eat Ugh. and memorised the shows without any problem. It's a nice feeling. Amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Like I feel so good knowing that there's nothing in the roof. There's so much still on the roof, but it's all organised. Like I've got all my craft boxes, but I know what's in my craft boxes. But just having that all gone we we got this massive skip but we got it the weekend of the antarctic blob i don't know if you've heard about that so there was a lot of paper mache in that skip well i I know about it because i was in sydney and i felt like i was in melbourne for the first time in a long time the like like sydney was actually yeah adam richard and i were going for our old man walks that we have on saturday mornings and halfway through it i just started swearing uncontrollably and he said yeah i know it's really cold isn't it and it's not like I wasn't wearing much like it was like I knew it was going to be cold but it was yeah it was Melbourne cold yeah and Melbourne was awful just totally Antarctic it was so freezing and and just raining and being in a roof like an, under a tin roof and like gale force winds and rain it was did you kind of enjoy it I did I did yeah so, something so cathartic about just throwing yes. throwing things down a hole like you know throwing them out of the attic but the the problem was that the attic ladder is in the same room that Digby's got his Xbox set up in. And so he had his headphones on. He was on the other side of the room, but every time I threw something down, he thought I'd fallen out of the roof. <laughs> because he did see me fall off his bunk and really hurt myself <laughs> a few months ago. So so every time I, I'd hear, oh my God, oh my God. Like, and then it was like, oh, yeah, I thought it was mum. Yeah, it's just another box that your father wanted to keep for yep. <laughs> that time when he just needed to post something. Yeah. Well, I get it. If you want to, you know, if you're on selling something, maybe you're going to get more for it in a box, maybe. But I reckon when it's 12 years old, that ship has sailed without the box. <laughs> Thanks for uh, joining us today, Cal. Where can people uh, find you, uh, you know, on Instagram and Twitter, etc.? You can find me on Instagram. I got verified yesterday. Oh, did you really? How exciting. I only had to apply several times. It's much harder to get verified on Instagram than Twitter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But also, like, to, what a burn from a um, from Instagram to not get verified. Nah, not important enough. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what a what a trivial thing to be excited about. So uh, on Instagram, I am Calbo Wilson. On Twitter, I'm Calbo. But I really go there anymore because it's a bin fire, isn't it? Now, yeah. Twitter. Yeah. So Instagram is mainly where I am. Calbo Wilson. You can find me on Facebook on Cal Wilson. You can buy my kids' books, George and the Great Brain Swappery and George and the Great Bum Stampede. Uh, you can find me at my house, but don't because that would be weird. Tim, I'm talking to you specifically. Don't find me at my house. Tim, you're meant to be working on your cracking first <laughs> song with your tiny hand ukulele slash guitar skills. That's what we want from you, Tim. And uh, for anyone who has something that they want to share, Please send it through. You know how it works. Uh, and also, if you need a letter saying thank you for yes! something. I should write Tim a letter saying thank you so much for the story. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll get in touch with Tim. We'll find out where you can send that. Yeah, great. great. I might give him some footy cards as well. <laughs> Look out for that, Tim. Thanks, Cal. See you, Jazzy. Thank you to my guests Dave Thornton, Rachel Melanta and Cal Wilson and also Tim Unwin for sharing his pride and shame with us. Remember, Cal and I will gladly unpack your pride and shame. Just head to the Big Squid Facebook page and leave me a message so we can cover your story in an upcoming episode. We have a private Facebook page too, which is in a 
bit of a quandary as some people have seen and want to discuss Tenet and some people haven't. But I am happy to report to you that the Big Squid fans are very thoughtful so nobody is ruining anything. So if you're a bit scared to come over, don't worry, everyone's cool. Although I can feel the energy brewing there. <laughs> there are definitely people who want to chat about it. So why don't you maybe send me a direct message because I am definitely up for having a chat about the latest Nolan movie. If you're enjoying the new format of the podcast, please share us with your friends or leave us a top review on whichever platforms you use to listen. We're building a great audience who are becoming used to the weekly format. It seems like now it's starting to seep in that we're around on a regular basis and uh, I would love to continue that upward growth. Next week, Ben Elwood returns to help me talk about The Prestige and there will be some extra guests and surprises for you. Today, I leave you with this quote from Chadwick Boseman. Whatever you choose for a career path, remember that the struggles along the way are only meant to shape you for your purpose. As you commence to your paths, press on with pride and press on with purpose. Rest in power, Mr. Bozeman. Until then. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.